0: Welcome to Chamberlain University's MSN CourseCast. Each episode in our series will introduce and discuss key concepts from the modules
1: in one of your courses. These episodes are intended to enhance your learning when you're on the go, so feel free to listen to them anytime and anywhere.
0: Hello and welcome to this Learning on the Go podcast for Nursing 519. My name is Allison Sabin and joining me today is my colleague from the MSN program, Heather Rivera. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me today, Allison. Oh, thanks for joining us, Heather. I'm so glad that you could join our episode as we talk about health promotion. You know, one of the things that is unique about the NR 519 course is that the concepts and the information that we discuss in the weekly or modular lessons, well, they often build on one another and continue over the course of the eight weeks. And in that way, many of the topics that we talk about, like health promotion for today, apply to other lessons and other assignments in the course as well. And one of the things that I really like about that approach is that the learning is reinforced and really nicely applied to different practice situations. I know for me personally, that always helps to make it easy to see how the pieces fit together.
1: You know, Allison, you're absolutely right. And another great example is the topic of health promotion and how it's unpacked early in the module lessons. But the concepts and applications surrounding that health promotion can be found throughout the entire course. And the same is true for other topics like holistic health assessment, application of the Synergy model, and implications for nursing practice.
0: You're exactly right, Heather. Those topics, while they sound like it's kind of a one and done sort of a thing, really, we continue to revisit those throughout the course. And I really love that because it does give you a chance to think a little bit on a deeper level, and maybe even a little bit more broadly about those concepts and where they fit into practice. So in our learning on the go podcast for the nursing 519 course you're going to hear a lot of these concepts and topics sort of uh, intertwined and we'll be repeating and going over many of these key concepts throughout the course. I hope that's going to be valuable because it really does help to reinforce learning. But during this particular episode we will discuss health promotion and the application of certain health promotional models in nursing practice. Before we begin, I want to pause and just share with you a little bit of an overview or an agenda regarding our episode today. As we begin our time together, we'll open up with some discussion about the concept of health and how it can be perceived differently from different people's viewpoints. We'll talk about those different perceptions of health and the many, many different factors that can influence someone's perception of health and their health practices. Finally, we'll talk about some of the different models for health promotion and how they can also be applied into practice. So let's dive into our discussion today for our learning on the go podcast and begin by talking through the concept of health and the health continuum. This is often a familiar topic for nurses. Health can mean so many different things to different people and often one's view of health or someone's perception or the way that they think about health is really influenced by personal experiences that they have had with illness. It can also be influenced by their family background, family history, cultural influences as well, and different societal norms or practices that maybe have been an important part of their lives. Values and beliefs about healthcare and the healthcare system can also play an important part in shaping someone's understanding and perception of health. And even the accessibility or availability of health-related services or resources from their experience can shape how they think and feel about health and the health practices that they partake in. Some of the specific things that can influence that perception of health and their health practices might include things like personal health behaviors, different lifestyle choices and practices, and as we mentioned, the cultural values and beliefs Socioeconomics and education cannot be forgotten in this equation as well. Often someone's socioeconomic status or their level of education can greatly impact their view of health. Their health literacy also is an important aspect to remember. Some people simply lack the literacy to understand and find access to health information and that greatly impacts their health status as well. And as we mentioned, just having accessible resources, ex- you know, having access to a provider or to health promotional activities and resources in your community, those things can really impact somebody's health as well as their personal experiences. You know, I think not only, Heather, of their current health, like physical experiences, but also mental health concerns or experiences that they have had as well. Those really impact
1: you're absolutely right, Allison. There are so many different variables that impact health. The, the biggest unique concept to this is that it can mean so many different things to so many different people. And it also depends on where that person is at in their life in that moment with that illness or wellness, whatever the situation is. So if we think back to some of your basic elements that we all learned about in nursing school, this primary characteristic of health was often described as a continuum. You might remember learning about the fact that health, or illness, occurred along a continuum, and over the course of someone's life, for example, there might be times of strong health and other times where their health status was closer to the illness end of the spectrum.
0: That's a great point, Heather. I mean, that's a really good point because, you know, we, um, we often forget that That continuum of health is something that also can be greatly impacted by somebody's perception and their experiences. We look at it from our nursing hat, but people that we take care of certainly are experiencing health along that continuum from their vantage point, which is often different or can be different.
1: You're absolutely right. And one of the hardest things about being a bedside nurse is understanding your own personal beliefs about health and what that means to you as a nurse. But then you have to be able to separate your beliefs and your understanding from that of the patient because the patient's viewpoint is much, much different than your own. Um, That can absolutely be challenging, you know, when you're taking care of six or eight patients at one time. Right. That's so true. Yes. So I want you all to take a step back and imagine for a minute. Picture a continuum or a spectrum with health on one end and illness on the other. Many people have created images to portray the spectrum of health, but one of the most well-known versions was created by John Travis. And in his model of the illness wellness continuum, he identified different places along the way. So just close your eyes and see if you can visualize this. For example, if you look towards the illness side of the model, you'll find points that include things like signs, symptoms, disability, as you move progressively deeper into that illness side of the spectrum. If you shift focus towards the wellness side, you see points such as awareness, education, and growth as you progress closer to a state of optimal wellness. And if we think back to our earlier discussion about individuals and their perceptions of health, as well as the many different factors that influence those perceptions, where would those people find themselves along that illness wellness continuum?
0: That's, you know, you're right, Heather, we really have to keep that in mind. Because when I think about the illness wellness continuum, and I how as a nurse, I have a clear understanding of those words that you were, you know, talking us through, you know, signs and symptoms and disability and uh, growth and awareness and so forth. In my mind's eye, and in my experience as a nurse, I, I have a frame of reference, I guess, if you will. Mm-hmm. But I can honestly see where a patient or an individual or a client because of the way that they are perceiving maybe their situation or past experiences, they may perceive themselves in a different place on that continuum. For example, if, uh, if they are chronically ill, those signs and symptoms may be the normal health for them. Or someone who has been working hard to improve their lifestyle and really is showing tremendous growth and awareness may still feel that they are you know, closer to that illness end simply because maybe they're not seeing some other results in their life. So I think you're right. We really have to stop and take stock not only of what we are aware of from our nursing vantage point, but touch base with that individual client and kind of validate the progress they've made, or or the reality of their situation, and from their perspective, if you know, mm-hmm. kind of following up with that.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right, Allison.
0: I'm thinking about also the. As, as you were talking the situation I think chronic illness often comes to mind although we could certainly look at the same situation with acute illness someone who is acutely ill while they may have been well for many many years of their life they've never been in the hospital I'm sure we've all had experiences either in our professional practice or perhaps we um, in our lives may know of a family member or friend who has experienced this where they've been very healthy for many years and suddenly they are acutely ill or uh, diagnosed with something, their perception um, can be definitely impacted by that sudden change in their health status and uh, how their perception may be very different. For example, they may feel like, hey, I'm ready to go back to work, and yet we realize they're quite acutely ill and in need of medical treatment and and nursing care and so forth. It's very interesting to see how those different perceptions play and then helping people to really, I guess, adapt, if you will to what might be a new normal, even if it's for just a period of time. You know, Heather, while we've been talking about the whole notion of health and how it's perceived differently from different individuals, I think it's really important that we also talk about that connection between how someone is perceiving their health and then the actions that they take as a result of that perception. For example, uh, many times as we all know and and probably we can all personally attest to this, sometimes the way that we feel about something or the way we think about something might directly influence how we act about that issue or behaviors that we take to address an issue. For example, like I'm thinking of someone who perceives their health in a positive way and wants to be therefore actively involved in health practices and healthy lifestyle behaviors Uh, whereas someone who perhaps has more of an external locus of control and perhaps understands that they're in poor health but does not feel empowered to make a change those people may be less likely to take action and change lifestyle behaviors. And so while we have to be careful to never make assumptions about that, it's important to to do a really good assessment to validate how a person is thinking and feeling, I think sometimes we must also remember that there is a connection between those perceptions and the different activities that they take in terms of health promotion. You know, because of this kind of complex situation really when we start talking about perceptions of health and how that may or may not impact health behaviors and and perceptions on um, a continuum of illness to wellness. It makes me realize how important it is that we have health promotional models as a framework to guide our practice. Often we implement a health promotional model without even realizing that we're doing so. And I always think about back in nursing school when we were all learning the nursing process, at first it was a very, very intentional process, and as time passed, that nursing process of assessing planning, intervening, and evaluating became second nature. It became what we did, it it was just occurring without us even thinking about it. And I feel like once we are in the mode with health promotion and we understand the variables that influence, these are often models that we just begin to practice uh, without even realizing that we're doing so. And it's a good thing because it really does provide an excellent framework for practice. You know, it's important for us to remember though that when we think about those, uh, those models, we must remember the important piece of that individual person and how they are perceiving things as well.
1: You're absolutely right, Allison. Just like any of our other assessment processes, getting that accurate picture of health perceptions and practices is what is going to lay that groundwork for health promotion. With all the different models of health promotion and within each model, this foundational truth is so important. You have to have that clear understanding of the individual patient, not yourself. You really have to make that distinction.
0: So true. That's a good point.
1: So let's take a couple of minutes to review some of the more common models that are frequently used in practice. First, let's talk about the health belief model. So in the health belief model, we can see a strong connection between someone's perception of health and the actions that they will take to promote their health. In that model, health promotional behaviors are directly related to the person's perception of health and how the health of that situation that they may be experiencing. So, for example, in any given situation, person's health practices, health behaviors—they're influenced by that patient or that client's perceived susceptibility to the health problem. Their That's perception, a good point. You're right. I, you know, I hadn't thought
0: about that, but that health belief model will strongly be influenced by how they perceive that susceptibility.
1: Yep, you're absolutely right. The patient or client also—you need to take into consideration their perception of the severity as well as their perception of the benefits of health promotion and the barriers to health promotion efforts. Also take into consideration the overall confidence to successfully carry out the health promotion practices. So if you think about applying the health belief model, we carefully assess all of the perceptions that an individual patient or client may have. You want to make sure there's a readiness on their part to take action or to participate in health promotion. Sometimes this is referred to as the cues for action or indication that the patient or client's perceptions are supportive of health promotion, that they are perceiving a benefit and a confidence to take action.
0: That's a great point and I, I really am glad you mentioned that, Heather, because This is another example where we're probably doing this in practice, and we don't even recognize that we're doing it. We wait to see, is someone ready for the information that I need to provide them or teach, and that sort of thing, and how they feel about their ability. Do I feel like I can do this? Am I confident Mm -hmm. that I can learn how to, for example, um, provide my own insulin injection or follow my diet? Are they really believing that it will make a difference? All those things in that, that health belief model are elements we do in nursing and And we often don't realize what we're doing, if that makes sense. We don't recognize that we're applying that model. Right. It's
1: because it's second nature. You know, we learned how to do that way back when in nursing school, and it's just become second nature to us. Right. Um, There's another common model, and that's called the health promotion model. And that one's actually a mid-range nursing theory that was first developed by Nola Pender. In this particular model, health is more than just the absence of disease. But instead, it's a dynamic state of positive well-being. So before we go on to talk more about health promotion model, let's just take a pause and think about that statement and how powerful that is. If the absence of disease is a requirement for health, it really leaves a wide open possibility for someone who is experiencing a disease or illness to also experience well-being or positive health as Pender defines it.
0: That's a good point, point. and you know, we almost even talked about that at the beginning, how that illness, wellness continuum, how I might perceive myself in one location there, and someone else might perceive that very same circumstance differently. It's interesting, isn't it?
1: Mm-hmm. Very I mean, interesting.
0: If, if all we're looking at is the presence or absence of disease, it's more clear cut, but when we look at perception, that's fascinating, yes. Mm-hmm.
1: It really is. that. This actually makes me think of a friend of mine who is chronically ill. She's now on palliative care for um, end-stage cardiac disease. And she recently started on dialysis. And if you talk to her, she is very positive. She is very upbeat. She will talk freely and openly about her disease process. But she's in a positive mindset, and mm-hmm. she she perceives herself as doing well. And she's doing well in her mind because she's still able to work, she's still able to take care of her family. Um, she's still able to walk around the house and, you know, look, she's fully independent. Yes. Yeah. That's her perception of health. Whereas when I see her, she's chronically ill, she's in and out of the hospital, I'm really concerned about her. Mm-hmm, it, it's mm-hmm. about that patient's perception and we really have to stay in tune to that.
0: That's a, that's a great example because we might look at that and say, oh my goodness, she's she's quite ill. And yes, that may be true from a medical standpoint, but she's feeling well. She's feeling mm-hmm. like she has a, a positive well-being and
1: a, and a purpose, a purpose. Right. It's because of that, that she is more likely to do things that will improve for health promotion, Mm -hmm. any little things that she can do to promote her health and to improve her health, even if it's just baby step. Because Mm -hmm. she perceives herself in that positive end of the spectrum, she's more likely to participate in preventative care and health promotional activities.
0: That's great. It, she sounds like a remarkable person, and it would certainly be a challenge to remain positive when you're facing, you know, chronic illness such as that. But what a difference it has made for her to just be involved with life, to embrace it, to have that positive sense of well-being, and to continue to work toward interventions that will promote her well-being and her health.
1: Yeah. Another thing that Pender's model assumes is that individual patients and clients are going to initiate and actively engage with or interact with their environment as part of that health promotion process. And mm-hmm. I think that statement alone, you know, in the example that I just gave, that really illustrates the assumption in Pender's model. And because You're
0: right. Yes. Yeah.
1: Because nurses and other healthcare professionals are part of that environment, within which the patients and clients interact, there's a great opportunity for nurses to positively influence health promotion and lifestyle practices in order to improve health.
0: That's, that's true. I, I, I agree with you. Your example gives a really nice picture of that too, Heather, because um, for example, you are a part of her environment, for example. You know, nurses are part of the overall environment and the support system that, that patients have. And so as a result, we are there and we can be a positive influence where possibly they may have a lot of other challenges that they're facing. These are great models. I really appreciate you covering both the health belief model and Pender's model as well. They're very helpful because as we talked about, we really are putting them into practice every day and often we don't recognize that. And one of the things that popped into my mind as as we've been talking about the two models is that Change is often a really, really significant um, challenge for people, all of us, myself included. And often when we talk about health promotion and we're using these models as wonderful tools to help patients and families promote their health and um, facilitate like, a, you know, strong well-being and all of that one of the things that we have to keep in mind is that it's going to require change, or often, I shouldn't say always, Mm -hmm. but often health promotion does require the challenge of change. And so one of the models that I wanted us to also look at during today's episode is the stages of change model. You know, That model, when we look at it, it helps us break down into sort of smaller steps, if you will, what it's going to take to really institute and sustain change, for example, such as embarking on a healthy lifestyle or changing Mm -hmm. our nutrition or exercise patterns. We can all probably relate to that to various degrees. Sometimes health promotion might even require that we learn a new skill. For example, your friend that's facing dialysis and so forth. And often, even with, you know, diabetics or whatever the case may be, there are often tasks or skills that we need to master, whether that's, you know, looking at injections or other type of treatment regimes. And so those also require change in the sense that we're learning something new, and not only learning something new or learning new practices, but having to integrate them in our day-to-day life, our day-to-day walk, and sustain them over time. So let's just talk briefly about the stages of change and that model, because change really is a process, at least for me. I know from my personal experience, as much (laughs) as I would love to have that happen overnight, it always takes me a bit of time, and even then, it can remain a challenge. So Mm -hmm. sometimes it even takes a little bit of time to mentally feel ready to make the change and and that's also something that's reflected in this model. The first step in the stages of change model is called pre-contemplation and just like that sounds it's those events that are occurring before we're even really thinking about change and in the pre-contemplation stage there's actually no desire to change there's just an existence in our current lifestyle or our current way of living but after that pre-contemplation stage the next stage is you might have guessed this contemplation and that's Mm -hmm. where we begin to think about it we're kind of entertaining the idea about this situation and a plan that we might take for the future you know we're just kind of beginning to think it's those early stages of thinking we have maybe a growing awareness of the need and the action that's going to be needed to follow through but again at this stage still nothing has happened in terms of actions so we've got the pre-contemplation stage and then the contemplation stage After that, the next stage of change is preparation. And maybe you can experience this in your own life or relate to a time when you've had to institute change and kind of think about this. So after you begin thinking about it, in the preparation change, there is an intent. You're saying to yourself, you know, I really need to change this and I need to come up with a plan to do so. For example, if I know I need to exercise and I live in the snowy Midwest where I live and I know that means I'm going (laughs) to need to join a fitness center, then I need to begin making plans to get to a fitness center or check out my options and get enrolled so that stage of preparation uh involves the steps that you're going to need to take to prepare for this new change and it might be you know joining a, a fitness center or mm-hmm. or thinking about how can I eat healthy at home or how can I follow my renal diet or my diabetic diet those kinds of things how who do I need to talk to to master my subcutaneous injections that sort of thing mm-hmm. after preparing probably guess this too the next stage is really taking action so we've had pre-contemplation, contemplation preparation and now the next stage is action and this is where change actually begins to take form we begin to behave and think and act in a way that we're intervening in our lives. We are carrying out actions to promote our own health and they are continued for at least a short period of time. We are on the road, so to speak. We've we've jumped on the train and we're actually moving now. We're making changes to our lives or taking action to improve our health.
1: You know, yeah. Allison, this is yeah. a great place to just take pause and think about the patients and clients that you take care of and where you see your patients In this particular spectrum, in this particular model, you know, pre-contemplation, I think of a patient that just had a heart attack. They had no desire to change. What they were doing was just fine. Now they've had a heart attack. Now, because of our influence as nurses, we get them to start thinking about, you know, we might need to make some changes at home and in your lifestyle, And then we help them prepare for that. These are the medications that you're going to need to take from here moving forward. Here's side effects of those. The action stage is really, really important for our patients and clients. Actions are going to be small, but they need to be positively rewarded. If, If you see a patient that took the initiative to get up and walk in the hospital and that's not something that they would typically do, praise them for that, encourage them for that. That praise and that reassurance for even those small action items is going to help them in that maintenance phase.
0: Absolutely. That's really a very good point because starting the change is hard enough, but maintaining it, that's where the trick lies so many times. And those are great points, Heather. We have to really, as we're meeting with a patient or a client or a family, kind of think through where might they be on this process of change, and um, maybe they are taking steps and we should definitely reinforce that. Maintenance is hard, and that next stage of maintenance, like you pointed out, that's where we really want to provide that reinforcement so that the behaviors or the lifestyle change or whatever aspect of their health regime or health promotion that they're working on, it needs to become very firmly established and maintained and sustained on a long-term basis. That's where we want people to stay. We want them to be in a maintenance situation. And even though they may see changes, like you said, Heather, they may be small or they may be occurring at a slower pace than what, you know, we might hope for, but they're maintaining and they're keeping a steady uh, commitment to those actions. That makes such a difference. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes things can happen uh, and sometimes it can be outside of the person's control for example a hospitalization let's say they're re-hospitalized mm-hmm. for uh, something unrelated that setback can happen where the maintenance phase is interrupted and they have to you know maybe return to the change process at a later time sometimes it really is something that's unrelated and out of their control maybe there's a fall maybe there's an infection something else that happens or a relapse of a, of a different disease Those are challenging times and I think the nurse is, like you said, very uniquely positioned to encourage and, you know, facilitate that patient or that individual or family getting back to that maintenance stage, it's so important.
1: Yes, you're absolutely right and it's really interesting to consider these different models that we've talked about and how they're very similar but they also have some very different characteristics. For example, Pender's model really points out that health and well-being are not only defined by the absence of disease. That's something that's a little bit of a different idea than what we see in the Travis continuum, the Travis Illness-Wellness continuum. It's also interesting to see the similarities between the health promotion model and the health belief model. Each of these really emphasize the unique personal experiences that will influence someone's perception of health and their health promotional patterns. What's really interesting to me is how the different stages of change can apply to all sorts of health promotion situations, whether someone's relatively well but wants to start a new exercise plan or if someone's facing disease and needing to learn self-care. The stages of change can help the nurse to really understand how to support patients and clients in their individual and unique situations.
0: I I think you're right, Heather. I couldn't have said that better. I I feel like these these are concepts and models that so often we are applying them without even realizing it but as we pause to look at those models and really understand why they're important, it gives us a solid approach that we can even more intentionally include as we work with individuals and families. Being able to recognize and appreciate and respect someone's perception, their feelings, their, their understanding and thoughts about illness and wellness and, and how it's impacting their lives, That's really critical. Otherwise, we are approaching a situation from our nurse understanding and not really hitting the mark in terms of meeting the patient or family where they're at. You know, before we close, Heather, I just think it would be great if we take a few minutes to encourage everyone to think about how this applies to their own practice. Anyone who's listening to our episode, we've given some examples today about patients that are perhaps acutely ill patients that might be facing chronic illness uh, or just really difficult times in their lives and and the families that surround these these patients also are often greatly impacted by health promotional strategies and different treatment regimes that may need to be followed. Mm -hmm. So I would just encourage everyone to be thinking about how these models can apply In your area of practice, maybe even in a previous area of practice, and in your future role as an MSN prepared nurse. Being aware of the health promotional models, the stages of change, and the important uh, nature of an individual's perception of their health, those things all really are important nursing considerations for us to keep in mind no matter where we practice. So we have covered quite a bit of territory today, and I just want to say thank you so much, Heather, for joining us.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate this opportunity.
0: Oh, well, we're really glad that you could join, and I always appreciate hearing your applications from practice. I learned so much from them. And I hope that you all, those of you who are listening, I hope you've learned from our dialogue today and from this Learning on the Go episode as we examined the concept of health, the illness wellness continuum and all the variables that influence health practices and health promotion. Thank you again for joining us and best wishes as you continue with the NR 519 course.
1: Now that you've explored some important concepts related to your modules, if you have not done so already, please turn your attention to the course materials in your online course for additional application
0: and practice of these concepts.